Good afternoon, folks. Uh, Dr. Edwin Williams, a double board certified facial plastic surgeon who prides himself in not only being an outstanding surgeon, but more importantly, a good doctor. So those of you who know me know I'm really pretty passionate about the business end of uh, aesthetic medicine, as well as teaching and mentoring the clinical and the business side of aesthetic medicine. I also wrote a book called The White Coat Entrepreneur, uh, which is kind of a journey over the past 30 years in aesthetic medicine. You can find that on uh, dredwinwilliams.com, as well as a lot of other informational material, podcasts uh, about aesthetic medicine. I'm really excited today to have, um, uh, I would consider him a dear friend, Josh de Blasio, um, on my podcast. And so the people who know me know that I am, uh, I speak my mind. And one of my frustrations is um, how industry has, you know, at the, at the movies, it's the same old, same old. And the reason that I'm saying this is that, that uh, I don't really have a lot of people in industry on this podcast because I, I'm not looking for somebody to sell themselves. But, uh, you know, Josh has a, a, a pretty impressive career. And I think the first time I met him was about 10, 11 years ago, Josh, right yep. in Florida. And, yep. You know, and, and what I've what I've really been impressed with Josh and is is his honesty and his um, you know genuine approach to pretty much everything. I, I I really respect him as a thought leader in the industry. He comes from you know he's VP VP of sales for PCA Skin, um, and the first time I met him, I think uh, we were I was we were in a kind of a thought leadership. Think tank thing within think tank thing with industry. I think at the time you were with Sanofi Aventis, right? Or with uh, at the time it was right when Valiant had purchased Medicis. Yep. Yes. Yep. And I was I, and I was working on behalf of the AFPRS to try to see how we could work better with industry, um, you know, in a way that would benefit our patients, benefit um, uh, the you know both sides you know it's expensive for industry to come to our meetings so how do we partner on this movie forward and on a personal level you know I, I I got to know Josh and we had in 2013 you know we those of you know me we had a house fire lost our house and dogs and whatever and, and every couple of months Josh would check in and even to this day I haven't seen him you know for a while and a little little text pops up hey buddy how you doing what's going on um, but I've, I've come to learn, I've listened to his talks at the meeting. I find him very insightful, um, um, but very, very honest. And so, you know, welcome, Josh. That's, that's the reason I wanted to have you on my podcast, because I want to talk to you about our industry, where it's going. Um, so welcome. Thanks for joining. Yeah, no, thank you. It's a pleasure to join. And uh, I think there's a high level of mutual respect. And for you as a physician, for you as a businessman and you as a friend. So it's, it's a pleasure to be with you and I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Well, glad you're here with us, Josh. So tell us a, a little bit about, um, I want to just, so people who don't know you, I mean, his, so your current position, we're going to get back to you know where you're working, but just your current position right now. Yeah. So, um, I want to talk to talk about it in detail after, but just to kind of as an introduction. Sure. So, so my current position is I'm the general manager and executive vice president of Clarity RX. Uh, Clarity RX is a plant-based results-driven skincare line and, um, hit, started over here at the beginning of November. So literally, I think uh, two days after the global aesthetics meeting in um, Miami is when I took on this position. Got it. So I know you grew up in uh, Pittsburgh, right? Yep, correct. 
And you, he, Josh has been in Arizona now since actually since Medicis recruited you, you, you how many years ago? 15? Yeah, so I, I moved out to Arizona. I started with Medicis in 2001 as a field rep um, and did some things out in uh, in the field as both a rep and a manager. And then when we launched Disport is when I moved out to Scottsdale to be the uh, run the Disport brand when that launched in 2010. All right. Got it. So tell me a little, tell us a little bit about your, your, you know, your upbringing and where you grew, you know, where you grew up and just a little bit about your family and that type of thing. And yeah, of course. So um, I grew up in a suburb of Pittsburgh and really spent my whole life there until I went away to uh, college in Ohio for four years, but then came back to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, very blue collar um, city. Uh, it's called Jeanette, Pennsylvania, and uh, had a great upbringing. I think it was uh, we were a tight knit family, uh, have an older sister, uh, had a brother who was in between my sister and I. And he was killed when he was seven. And I think that really brought the brought the family very close. Yeah. Uh, I think it sh- really shaped all of us. I think it still affects all of us to this day. People here. Right. That's it. How could it not? How could it not? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I think um, it really brought us together and and it really gave all of us kind of a life is short mentality. So make the most of what we have. And I think that shaped quite a bit. I think uh, for me personally, it also shaped that I never wanted to disappoint my parents. I think for all the tragedy they had been through, you know, it, it, I wanted to make sure that I didn't cause any more stress for them and really tried my best to do that. But, you know, despite that tragedy, uh, had a great upbringing, great parents, great sister, and, um, you know, played sports growing up, enjoyed school, enjoyed going off to college. But uh, I think where I grew up too, and you see a lot of, of tragedy and a lot of poverty, it, it again, shapes you as a person and makes you, uh, not makes you because not everyone feels the same who grows up, but it really helped me to get my priorities straight as far as what I wanted to do and what really was important in life. And it's not the material things. It's more family and relationships and feeling that personal level of success. So, again, I've always known uh, what, you know, again, I'm not just uh, I'm not just blowing smoke up your backside. I've always known you as someone who's genuinely uh, taking an interest. And, and I don't say that about everyone. But, you know, with that in mind, you know, how did you, you know what were your goals early on? Now, you say you didn't want to disappoint your parents. Right. But mm-hmm. what were your goals? like what's your story? How did you end up in, in the area of aesthetic medicine? Yeah. So so really, I think as far as my goals were, it's it's exactly what you said. I, I, I didn't want to disappoint. So I think that fe- fear of failure was more my goal, if you could say that, where I didn't want to fail. Um, and I, I just wanted to be self-sufficient and, and successful. So I started, uh, I went to school at Miami of Ohio and, and that fall after I graduated, I started as a pharmaceutical rep, uh, selling to ophthalmologists and allergists, um, all prescription eye drops. And then in 2001, I had a great opportunity to come to Medicis, which at the time was just prescription drugs for dermatologists. So, um, started with Medicis in 01, 
it's selling to dermatologists, a variety of prescription drugs. Then in 2004, because of, of Metasys, and I think Metasys really helped shape me as far as, um, you know, desire to succeed. They, they had a high emphasis on relationships, a high emphasis on standing out in a crowd. Um, and Metasys was a great, great place from a culture. Yeah, right? An amazing culture, right? It, it really was. It really was. And, and I've tried to duplicate that as I, I've come into leadership positions and it's been really hard. So I don't know if it's just what our CEO at the time, how he had it set up, or if it's the difference between 2020 and the early 2000s where people are a lot different now than they were back then as far as work ethic and things like that. But, you know, when we... Metasys got the rights to Restylane in 2004, and that's when it, it didn't change, but it added that component of aesthetic medicine that was all cash-based versus all prescription drugs for dermatologic conditions, medical conditions. So, you know, at the time to get that Restylane job, it was a promotion. So I did well selling the prescription stuff in 2004, started selling Restylane. Um, then became a regional manager in 2008. And Metasys really to move up in that company, you, you had to do a stint in the home office to kind of round out your background. So whether it was training or marketing or whatever it was, they were big on making that commitment of relocating and, and getting more experience. So did that in 2010. Uh, launched Disport, which at the time was the first competitor to Botox. Right now, I guess there's four out total with a fifth coming soon. And then in 2012, Valiant purchased Metasys and uh, Valiant started a division called uh, Business Consulting, which was a brand new division. And I had about 12 people work for me in that division to um, go into practices like yours and help them in any way we could run a better business. It wasn't a sales position. It was more of a consultant position to say, this is what we've seen others do. Um, you may want to try this and how can we help? Yeah. So you talked about the culture at medicine. You know, I'm a big culture freak. Um, I, I, you know, I find, well, they say that the three most important jobs of a CEO is one, okay, to communicate your vision, two, tell you how you make money, and three is, is culture, is to create your culture. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I find that the best way to create culture is frequent, very crystal clear communication and rewarding those who deliver. And having the conversation, the uncomfortable conversations with uh, those who are not chinning to the bar. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that it really hasn't changed a lot. I, I, you know, I, th I suspect it may have been um, the difference who was at the top, you know, we were working with because uh, I, I, I make reference to, um, you know, Ed Bastian, who's now the CEO of Delta. It's a different airline than it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's a different place. Pilot standing to thank you when you're leaving, you know. Um, so I, I believe that one person can make a huge difference, you know, at the top. I mean, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, our CEO at Metasys, who's now the CEO at uh, Skin Better Science, which is a great skincare line as well, 
Um, you know, I think he recognized top performers, was heavy on recognition. I think what you're talking about with clear communication, uh, definitely, I think he built a great team around him and really entrusted the people, the leaders around him. Um, so I think that was big too. And I think, you know, to add to what you said, I, I would say leading by example as well. You know, we saw the extra effort that he took with our customers. So it was hard for us to, to not carry that over ourselves. And I think, you know, that that's an area where I've really tried to, to work hard at leading by example, but that's what can tire you out. And I think, I think hiring good people around you and trusting them and, and delegation is important too, because there's only so many hours in the day. So, you know, I learned the last few years, uh, there's a difference because I've seen a lot of my colleagues who try to delegate and what they're really doing, they're just advocating or handing something to someone and not checking in with them and not having the honest communication. Effective delegation has to do with uh, communication and holding accountable. I've also uh, come to believe that that this just really, uh, sometimes it's a stretch, but, but hiring the best people you can and just, you know, surrounding yourself by those best people and just magical stuff happens for those who can do it. You know, some people can't chin to the bar, but the ones who we give them an opportunity and, you know, but that doesn't come with mediocre talent. Right. As you're trying to build the team, I'm sure. So tell us how did you end up, how'd you end up with PCA skin? Yeah. So PCA, um, I actually, our CEO from uh, Metasys was friends with the new CEO at PCA back in 2015. And he kind of connected the two of us. PCA was uh, backed by private equity. And they said, this is a really great brand. We need to get the word out uh, more on this brand. At the time, it had been around about 25 years, was growing year over year uh, be, with a pretty passive model. It was inside reps. Um more waiting for the phone to ring versus getting out there and proactively telling the message. So the thought from the private equity firm at the time was if we're growing at this clip without doing much, just think what we could do with a sales force out there and, and going out and knocking on doors and building that personal relationship. So the CEO, Mike Lorraine brought me over to really start the sales force at the time. So you know, when we started, we had five reps. Uh, four years later, we had over 70 reps. And there's a lot of learning in that. I mean, and we didn't just hire 70 because not everyone we hired stayed, whether it was their decision or our decision. But we just about every three or four months, we added six more people until we ended up with about 72 reps. So it, it was really great experience. Learned a ton as far as um, who to hire all, all the stuff we've talked about surrounding yourself with the right people. And you still don't have the magic bullet for that. But I think, you know, the, the management team that I built around me there um, was what made it hardest to leave PCA. I think um, it took a while to get a team that was competent and confident and trustworthy and had the work ethic that I expected, but but we did get there, and that's what made it really hard to leave PCA. But that was a good run. I mean, you know, like I said, there, there was no reps to 70. We had a whole training department when I left. 
uh, instituted a ton of different ideas that, you know, worked, some didn't, but, you know, we always had the mentality of fail forward. Let's try some different things. Let's do what works. We're not a big company like a Pfizer where we're bound to red tape. And, you know, I'll never forget the CEO said, the goal is to sell this in two to three years. And about two and a half years to day in, we sold PCA to Colgate Palmolive. Uh, stayed there for a couple more years and then was presented with this opportunity for Clarity RX where it was uh, just the perfect next step for my career. And it's an exciting brand. And that's how I ended up over here. Yeah. So, you know, that's a lot of people to hire. I mean, how did you, where do, where do you start? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a tough that's a project. Yeah. So, so, so. I mean, Tell me what I know. How many? What was your what was your metric? One of every three made it. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's exactly. That. You and I may have talked about that, or you may be the one who told me, or I told you. I, I don't even know, but I would out of nine people, there were three you really didn't want to lose. There were three that you know was nice to have them. If they left, you wouldn't be devastated. You didn't really want them to leave, but you weren't devastated. And there were three that you'd be better off having go and. I, I really found that to be pretty true. I think by the time I left, I would say it wasn't that split because we really got a lot better with who we were hiring and we got a lot better in the interview process. And, and we knew we had a better idea of what a blueprint of a successful employee looked like. We did not have that in the beginning and we built that as we went. So um, I, you know, I mentor and I help a lot of my colleagues and probably, you know, they're, they're, they want to know what I do with for marketing. They want to know, but, but in reality, when I, when I, you know, roll up my sleeves and I get together with them, when I ask the tough questions, so many of them have people that need to go. Mm-hmm. Honestly say, I mean, I've got about 75 people I work with. I can't think of one person right now. There are a couple on the face, but they really need to go, but we're, we're fanatical about that. So how do you, because this is the question, you know, I try to teach my colleagues, how do you have that conversation? How do you let people go? When does it start? This is a re- this is probably one of the most important leadership questions to ask someone. Mm-hmm. How do you-, you know, I, I think we've had great success kind of looking at it from their end too. And usually if it's not working for us, it's usually not working for them either. I agree. You know, and, and, and I think letting them know that, again, back to you asking about my upbringing, life is too short. And, and, you know, to spend as much time as we do, let's just let's just call it half of our waking hours working. And if you're really not enjoying it, if you're not passionate about it, you're kind of cheating yourself on life because life is short. So I, I think we've had nice success saying we'll help in any way we can. This just isn't working um, for either of us, really. It's certainly not for you. You don't seem happy. Um, there's probably a better fit for you. And just because this isn't working out doesn't mean something else won't. Um, there's many examples where we've had people leave us and succeed to a great uh, deal wherever they go next. And those are stories I like to tell. And I just think explaining that mentality, and that's also why we talk that mentality a lot to current employees and say, this is how we feel. So we're not just having that conversation 
when it comes to separation or planning a separation, we're having that conversation throughout their tenure. What what you have said is very, very valuable. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, again, it's not intuitive to most doctors or manage, you know, office managers per se. You know, the dynamic of our business model is very different than a lot of, you know, businesses. But, um, you know, clear communication on a regular basis, right? Uh, making it objective, not like, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. It, it has more to do with, uh, you know, um, we see you struggling at this, uh, objective discussions about not being a good fit uh, and helping people, you know, because if they're, people know when they're struggling, right? Is that, mm-hmm. Has it ever surprised when you have this conversation with people? And yeah. you're, you're exactly right. You know, and then we have people who actually, you know, they really are able to chin to the bar, but they're they're more about, you know, they're more about me, you know, and entitlement stuff. And they don't work out long term because they're just not part of your culture. And it's always OK when they just when they take off, too. Right. But, I, I, I've, you know, what we've learned and, and, and what you've said is just so true, having these conversations on a regular basis. So it's not a surprise. And, and you, um, know, you know, what helped us quite a bit was was having more of these conversations and investing the time in these even before we hired them. And I can tell you, it wasn't necessarily intentional, but I got to a point, especially with the candidates who I really liked, um, of really painting, I don't want to say a negative picture of the position, but making sure they were very clear that this position you're going for has a ton of challenges. You're going to be faced with multiple objections. Uh, goals are aggressive. Our demands are high. And I had a couple of candidates who I who I really was excited about in a row say, I feel like you're trying to talk me out of this position rather than talk me into it. And, and while I wasn't doing that intentionally, it, it hit me. And that really helped because then at the beginning, I had people who would resign or who we, we would have to move on. And they would say, this job's just a lot different than I thought it would be. It's a lot harder. And from our end, we said, we're never going to have that happen again. We're going to make sure as clear as we can be of painting a picture of what they're stepping into, that this isn't all sunshine and roses. This is going to be a grind, skincare grind. There's a ton of companies, ton of good products. We have aggressive growth metrics. This is going to be a very tough job. That way, no one could ever say they were surprised when they got into it and saw the challenges that there were. And that helped us quite a bit, setting that yeah. up before they were. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Vern Harnish's book, Rockefeller Habits, but you know he talks about, you know there's a whole chapter, I think it's chapter five on culture. And I read it two or three times because I just... Early, you know, this is ten years ago. Early, I'm like, how the hell do you, how the hell do you make culture? And they talk about your conversations at the hire, mm-hmm. or your daily huddles, and it's the same message over and over. But you know, maybe not. So I'm just thinking, how do you know for the average doc out there? Because this is what I do for the higher level positions, the one like you're talking about. You know, maybe your marketing person, your salesperson, your, uh, you know, your your uh, operations person. That's they are great because the last thing you want to do is fail at those hires, right? Right. They're more expensive. You invest. You invest a lot of time in them, and so you're basically telling them, you know, this is this is the job, and they know day one this is this is the culture. Yep. Um, what What do you find 
uh, a challenge right now with dealing with physicians. I mean, physicians are, they're a tough group. Uh, I find, um, you know, and I, you know, a lot of, a lot of first physicians are my friends. I grew up, I didn't grow up with, with in a professional family. I grew up, you know, scrapping my way, uh, you know, without getting into my family. Um, cause I've talked about it before, but my, my mom and dad, uh, you know, barely had an edu- you know, college, ed- didn't have a college education. My dad was one of seven. He's the only one that got out of high school. So, you know, I don't think like most doctors, but I see my colleagues and I see how they do the same things over and over again, wrong because they're not taught business in, in medical school. You have obviously challenges that you have to overcome in, in your businesses. Um, how do you deal with doctors? And, and, you know, why are they, why are they particularly difficult at times? Yeah, I, I think they're getting hit from so many different angles. I think especially in this specialty, because, you know, as you know, better than just about anyone, it, it, there's a huge business side to it. There's also the patient care side to it. You know, they're also getting hit from a ton of different companies. You know, there's there's more companies than ever out there pitching their products. I think um, their time is short. They're skeptical to begin with. Um, so I, I think those are all challenges that kind of add to it. I think, you know, there, there's a certain subset where there's an ego involved and they say, you know, in order to do business with you, you'll need to do this, which I get, you know, they, they need to figure out what's best for them and, and go for that. Uh, and that's not everyone. I think that's a smaller subset, but for me, you know, as you know, I've always kind of taken a, we don't take ourselves too serious approach to it. You know, we're not selling, you know, cancer medications. There's a lot of good products out there. Um, you know, are ours better? I think so, but I'm obviously biased, right? Everyone else thinks theirs is better. It, it basically comes down to three simple things. Well, I guess four, I, th- I always put one A and one B is efficacy and safety. You got to have that. Then it's going to come down to price point. Then it's going to come down to relationship. And, and that's how I've always viewed it. Um, and that's why I've always stressed any reps. They can control number three, the relationship standpoint. So they're not going to be able to control the efficacy of the product per se or the price, but they can control number three. And I, I just don't know if physicians, I don't know if they always look at it in those same terms. I think they do because that's what we try to sell to efficacy, safety, profitability and relationship, but it's not the easiest group to deal with because there's so many different motivations that they have. It's not purely is yours the best prove to me it's the best and I'll use it. There's a ton of other things that come with it, which make it a little, little more difficult. Yeah. I mean, I always, you know, back in the day before you were involved with the PCA skin, I remember walking with Jennifer and Richard. I don't know. I think we were in Denver somewhere and I talked to them about, you know, and one thing that was very intrigued because they said, we will help you grow this part of your business. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I guess they were short staffed and whatever, but he was hot on us and whatever. And they, they never ended up delivering. But I think that if, if someone talked to me and said, okay, I want to sit down and help you, you know, with your business development, I think that's what Allergan did a good job at for years. 
you know, that's something I'm interested in, obviously efficacy and safety, but I've been very loyal over the years to Allergan just because they provided us with good education and guidance. And I do find that sometimes a lot of docs are a little short changed. I mean, they, they, they go where, you know, all of a sudden it, it costs a couple bucks less for this sport. You go this way, you know, and uh, I'm not always looking at the big, at the big, at the big picture, you know, sometimes, you know, one, so, and I'm going to stick up for docs a little bit here. I think that they're, as I see the industry right now, it's it's a pressure cooker because you know, the Affordable Care Act on one end, you know, it was a disaster for physicians. I see people in functional medicine leaving all the time and they're all going to fee for service type of medicine. So, you know, whether you're going after people with Lyme disease and that there's no real therapy that, you know, you can submit to your insurance or you're going after, you know, uh, I don't know, some whatever the next fad is. Um but aesthetic medicine happens to be one of them. And so we have all kinds of, as you know, non-core and that doesn't, not, not a derogatory thing. It's just, there are people that all of a sudden are, you know, new to the industry that are coming in, they're taking their life savings, they're trying to market with it and, and such. And as a result, we have seen, I mean, I really believe 70 to 80% of equipment purchases by my colleagues don't make good business sense. Mm -hmm. I believe that in the area, and this is some of the, you'll see where I'm going with this. I believe that uh, there are so many things, business decisions that, that are poorly made by my, my colleagues and, and, you know, because they just don't have the time. And, and one of my big pet peeves is, is marketing. I mean, we have, you know, we made a really bad decision a couple of years ago. I had the consultants. We did, you know, listen, we're not going to make a big, big decision without doing our homework, right? So Susan and my team really rolled up our sleeves, spoke to a lot of the consultants out there that are in the know. They landed us on a team. Um, and, you know, here's what I've seen, as you know, from working at Medicis, you know, you can sell yourself. And just because someone's a big player at the meeting, and they got a big booth and they're the new next thing that's coming along, right? They may not be able to run a good business. And so they were doing a great job at attracting business. Uh, but then, you know, you're getting account managers change. We made a bad decision a few years ago and you and I'll talk about it offline some point in time. It was, it was a, we, it was a seven figure loss for us over a period of a year and a half. Um, and we actually know what we're doing. So I see so many of my colleagues and I've read people who have been in now, especially with digital, you know, digital marketing, doctors are, are just getting exploited. You know, I've had digital marketing people who have left say to me, SEO is the biggest bunch of bullshit. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I get paid, used to get paid five grand a month to manage someone's SEO and I used to spend two or three or four hours a month yeah. and they don't know what I'm doing. So you're, you come from a sales point of view where you're measured on your metric. Yep. How does a physician, how does a physician market their practice and hire someone in marketing? Cause they don't want to be measured. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's really interesting and, and I agree with you. I think, you know, a lot of this this gun shy doctors are gun shy. Yeah. And a lot of marketing isn't measured. And, and you know, my background, I, I mean, you know, that that's what I studied in college. That's what I majored in. That's what brought me to Arizona was marketing. Now in this role as GM at Clarity, it's a heavy marketing aspect as well. But 
you know, I, I, I've always kind of taken an anti, I, I don't want to say an anti-marketing spin, but, you know, I think as physicians, they're always focused on marketing and, you know, this and that. And, and I'll tell you, I've seen physicians who do very little marketing. They put all of their emphasis on outcomes. They put all of their emphasis on their staff. Uh, they put a high level of emphasis on the patients they have. And they do very, very well. And I think well, that's what we did for years. Yeah. I mean, marketing budget was one less than 1%. Yeah. Um, I believe that I maybe I was, uh, you know, and, and we weren't, it wasn't like we were struggling, you know. Mm-hmm. But I believe there's another whole level out there by doing a good job. You know, you don't need to be over the top on marketing, but I do think they're really good points. You, If you run a better business, right, you take really good care of your people, really focus on your outcomes, being honest, you're going to stay, but it's harder for younger people. Don't you agree? It, it is. I, I think it, it's harder. I think the thing with the industry now is, is, and, and it's what I talk about at these meetings and why I think I'm asked to come back and speak because there's not a, as much of an emphasis on all of the controllables as there is on some of the marketing things. I just think Look, as far as marketing goes, I'm a big fan of piloting things, you know, instead of rolling it out at some massive level to keep it small, pilot it, whether it's insert, whether it's ideas piloting, whether it's in certain markets, but everything that you do has to be measurable. And I think those are the things that is from a marketing standpoint, but also a lot of physicians, they don't measure the spend. They feel like they have to do it. And it makes them feel good to do it. But I mean, you know, I'll even hear people talk about doing events and they'll say, we need to do an event, which is a form of marketing, but they don't have any plan. They're not measuring anything. They do an event because it's November and it's time to do an event. And I, I think marketing's good if you can measure it, but also if you go into it with a goal in mind. And, you know, you again, staying on this event thing, we'll talk to a lot of people and we'll say, well, what's your goal with the event? And they say, no, we just do an annual event every year. They don't have a goal. They're not measuring it. There's no strategy. And I think that can carry over to a lot of different marketing techniques. But as far as younger physicians, I think they focus on all the Instagram and everything else, which I think is good, but not as important as focusing on good outcomes. And there's still nothing as powerful to me as referrals and retention and those are controllables and those are free yeah yeah they, well they 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 are if you do the right thing but mm-hmm. it is four times as much to bring in a new lead as it does uh, you know uh, an existing existing customer and um you know you build strong relationships people just keep coming you coming back right for sure and, and you know you and i've talked about this everyone that we would talk to when when i ran the consulting team you know, every office, or I should say 99% said, help us get new patients. What do we need need to do to get new people in the door? Not one person would ever say, how do we get the people who've already been in back? And how do we get the people who've already been in to do more with us? And how do we get them to refer their friends? And, and it's it's one of the first slides I always open up with is this story, because I, I don't know if that's just purely an ego thing where people want to brag about the number of patients in their database. But I've, al- I've always said you'd rather make a million dollars off 50 patients than $500,000 off 100 patients, right? It's- Which happens, by the way, right? If it's done, you know, I mean. Exactly. It's, 
we have people go through this exercise. You know, uh, some of the guys I mentor, I say, do me a favor, take the top 50 people. And I want you to tell me how much, add them all up and see what they spend. Yep. And, 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 your mind. and that exercise right there, a lot of people don't say who are our top people? What are they spending it? What's, what are they spending it on? What's, what is our rate of retention? What's important to them? Um, yeah, I mean, that's really good advice. Uh, and yet, I think you're right. Doctors always, you know, they're batting at the next new shiny object. What do I do to get new patients in? Um, where do you think this, where do you think this field is going? I, 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 it's so different than when I started, you know, years ago, I used to joke, I say, you know, I used to speak at the podium four or five or six times a year and do my mission work and, and, and you know, mentor and teach and all that. Cause it was the, the right thing to do, you know, now it's, you know, it's a photo op. It's some, here I am with the babies. I'm saving the babies. Mm-hmm. And so where do you think this industry is going? Is it going to consolidate? Are you going to see, I mean, do you, is there still a role for plastic surgeons, facial plastic surgeons? Are the derms t- totally taking over? Are the non-core going to kick our ass? Where do you think this is going? Yeah, I, I think it's going to continue to explode. I think, from a company standpoint, I think there'll continue to be consolidation, but there'll be that many new companies who come to take their place. I think, let, let's talk about industry. There's so much money to be made here. Healthcare and reimbursements and coverage is becoming more and more restrictive with the, the power that pharmacists are giving and prescription coverage going more generic. This is a space industry wants to be in. I mean, there's more players than ever. There's more people that want to get into it. Um, There's more providers than ever to sell to in this space. The economy's better than ever. You know, I I think it's hot from an industry standpoint. Everyone wants to get into this cash-based business. And I think it's the same from a uh, provider standpoint, whether it's core non-core especially, right? I think uh, you also look at the the society that we're in where Instagram and selfies and filters, they're all bigger than ever. So everyone's more interested in their appearance. There's going to be more non-core entering the space because of the same reasons industry is entering the space. Reimbursements are worse for them on, on what they're doing. Um, it's easier than ever for people to kind of go cross specialty. I wouldn't say switch specialty, but I guess a little bit of that too. So nurses can open their own places. Uh, physicians who are not facial plastic or derm or plastic can get close to practicing those other specialties, if not actually practicing. I just see from an industry and a provider standpoint it exploding for i guess the same reasons disposable income economy um, people interested in procedures the explosion of non-surgical it's just i I don't see this slowing down anytime no you know i i think if we you know if we yeah it's not an if at some point there'll be a recession right we you know historically that happens but i do see that the non-surgical is more recession proof um you know, we so every time there's been a recession, the surgery surgery takes a big hit. They're big ticket items, right? People still want to feel good about themselves, whether it's you know Botox or skin, you know, right? Yep, you agree. Yep. 
However, I will, I will say this. I will say you may have, you may feel like when there's a recession, you take a big hit. I guarantee a practice like yours isn't taking a big of a hit as others because people still want, that's when I feel like all of this stuff we talked about prior outcomes, uh, the professionalism of your staff is going to become more and more important. And people say, if I'm going to spend it, I want to go to the best. Right now, people say, I'll go to whoever has availability, whoever has a good deal, whoever had a cool Instagram ad. When it when the economy softens a little bit, and hopefully it doesn't, but you know, let's say it will, um, then people would do a little more research and, and be a little more picky where they do spend their money. And that's where I think practices like yours that focus on patient outcomes will not take a big of a hit as so I think that's a really important point. I, you know, I will tell you, 2008 to 2010, a lot of my colleagues were crying the blues. And I remember talking to one of the Allergan uh, consultants uh, back then. And, you know, things softened for us. But they were saying, you know, one of the things with, with a recession like this is it exposes all the cracks in the walls of the practices who don't have their crap together. Um, and that's why you guys are doing okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and I remember, you know, my parents were in real estate and my dad used to say they love recessions because the problem with when things are good is you have everybody and their brother wants to be a real estate broker. You know, so you got you got all this noise in the background. It's kind of the same thing now. We have all these providers competing on commodity pricing and Botox. The reality is we're just you know, we just keep growing and we're all we're doing is doing the right thing. And we are we are not commodity pricing. Yep. We're focused on doing outcomes and relationships and those type of things. So. I, I think despite social media and digital marketing and everything else, uh, you know, you still get rewarded for a job well done. Um, so what do your, what do your, what do you do when you're not, you know, when you're not working? Tell me about your hobbies. Do you have any? Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you, I, I work a lot, not to try to sound cool. It's just, it's kind of all I've ever known. Um, and I enjoy what I do. So, so a lot of times I don't feel like it's work, but you know, I think my hobbies are, you know, I think three come to mind and I'm not as sophisticated to say, you know, sculpting the arts and <laughs> mine are more, um, you know, I'm a big sports fan. You know, I, I think I used to play a lot as I get older now, it's more, I, I love to go to different venues. I, I see you often at the uh, Siena basketball games and doing fun. They won hard way last night. So they, they won again. They, uh, they're number one in the Mac. We've had a couple of miserable years, so uh, we'll we'll gloat a little. It's it's fun when when your team's winning, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I, I love I love you know to go to games, to go to events like that. I like to go to concerts. I'm a big food guy, you know. I as, as you know, right? I love to eat. And I love to go to different restaurants. It's just you know the experience is is big to me, and and I love to travel, which are all good things for my job because I'm on the road quite a bit, but I, I like hotels. I like trying different restaurants. It's uh, to me, it's, it's kind of embracing it and, and I don't ha really have a choice, but to love it. Right. If I didn't like those things, my life would be miserable because that's what, that's what my job is. Yeah, I know. And I, and I know that about you. So um, 
I'm excited to this year. My wife is actually really actually coming to the Vegas cosmetic surgery meeting. I, I bribed her the other day. Uh, so she's definitely, she got tickets and she used to, she always, and she threatened to come and then she couldn't cause you know, we've got something going on at home. So, uh, she's heard me speak about it a lot, but she's not, ne- you've never met my wife, Sherry. You know what? I met her in the lobby at, uh, in Nashville. Okay. She was in okay. the Nashville so, meeting, right? A few years. Yeah. Yeah. So before I let you go, cause I really want to respect your time and I got, uh, what, Tell us about your, your, you know, your new, you know, your new venture, where you're, where you're going with it and why you're excited about it. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's really exciting. You know, Clarity RX, like I said, it's a plant-based skincare line. I see a lot of, of similarity. Big time hot. Very hot. Very hot. If, if there's two super hot things in skincare and one is results oriented, you know, gone are the days of kind of fluffy relaxation put it on because it feels and smells good. Patients slash consumers are smart today about what they choose and they want to put something on their skin that's really going to make a difference. So results driven is big and plant-based, like you said, whether it's cosmetics, diet, skincare, whatever it is, plant-based is hot. And I see a lot of similarities with this line in PCA where they were both founded by an esthetician. They were both growing um, and it's just got a really good story to it. And, you know, again, selfishly for my career, instead of just running sales, I get to do a lot more with the company now. So, you know, we had a great run at Medicis, had a great run at PCA. Uh, this is the next chapter and it's the next level of responsibility for me. And I'm able to stay in aesthetics, but I'm, I'm very excited about the line and, and the potential of the line. And, you know, duplicating or replicating what we did at PCA with some tweaks to uh, make it even better. That's awesome. Well, listen, I want to thank my uh, uh, guest here, uh, Josh de Blasio, who's, uh, it's Clarity RX, right? Clarity RX, yes. Um, But, you know, more importantly, you know, Josh has been been not only a friend, but someone I I really respect as a thought leader in our field, someone on the outside, a non-physician who has been very objective and very uh, clear in his thinking. Uh, in all the years that we, you know, we we have known each other, he was he has never, you know, tr- tried to push, uh, you know, from a sales point of view. It was always about the relationship and doing the right thing. So, and that's something I have a ton of respect and why I asked you to be on, Josh. So, I'm looking forward to seeing it in Vegas. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great. I I, I always enjoy that meeting. It'll be great. I'm glad that you're taking a. a role in that meeting. I think you'll excel at that and uh, looking forward to work. I had, to, uh, you know, I think one, running one of the sessions and what I want you doing is running around with a microphone asking the tough questions, you know, not just, uh, you know, superficial congeniality. I think it's, if we really want to deliver value for the attendees, um, I think it's important that we uh, ask some of those tough questions. So I'm going to let you go and uh, I'll see you in Las Vegas. And uh, thanks for always touching base and seeing how I'm doing. Okay, Dr. Williams, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll see you. Thanks. Take care.